That's it. Amen. Thank you, guys. Matthew chapter 9. So I'm going to tell you how I got to where I'm at tonight. I've gotten to a point in my, in my ministry where I have something and I think it's for Sunday and God just every time says, no, you have an opportunity Wednesday. Or if it's Sunday and I you know, think I'm going to hang on to it later. I just, you know, I, I, sometimes I get so worried that I'll run out of stuff as if there hasn't been a thousand preachers. You know, it's just pride. Brad, I hate to break it to you, but there's preachers around the world that are still coming up with new material, still plenty to preach on because the Word is a living Word. So I just try to get myself out of the way and say, all right, God, if you're going to put this on my heart tonight, then we're going to teach you tonight. So the last couple of days, but I'll tell you how I got here. Uh, Sunday morning, I just felt that there was a freedom in the Spirit uh, during church service. And, and it, when the invitation, you know, you hate the manufacture, but you're sitting there. And actually, Megan even brought it to my attention. She said, I'm sitting in the back, and you can feel the need for people to go to the altar. And she said, but for whatever reason, people just didn't. And I understand that. And, and God began to deal with me, and He's still dealing with me right now, is, uh, number one, what we really think the altar is for. And, and I'm working on that, and if God puts that in, it could be a series. You know, I've told you before, I'm not much of a series preacher, but uh, if the Lord would put on my heart of what the altar is actually for. But I'll just say this, uh, it's not really about the altar, but it's about a statement of faith. And I think the more faith you you show, uh, the, the greater reward in that. So I believe a need can be met in the pew, absolutely. But there's something about giving a black eye to the devil where if you step out in faith that God's going to meet you at this altar, that there's something different than saying, I'm just going to sit here and meet, have God meet me. Now, the faith can be the same if your faith's really that, but there, there's something about the altar that, and I think we have to understand that too. It's, it's for just laying down burdens. It, it can be there for, to praise God. For victory, it could be that for we see that in, in accounts in the Old Testament, and also it could be to pray for other people. I know sometimes we get our in our own mind that if I go to the altar, they're going to think I'm 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 going there for myself. But forget about that. If God lays someone on your heart to go pray for, then you're doing that in obedience to what God is calling you to do. So uh, that's what the altar is for. But as God began to deal with me. Uh, he said, he just said, the Holy Spirit said to me, a lot of people think that the altar should be for people to get saved. And I understand that. That, that, that is a part of the altar. And, it, and it's beautiful to see an altar full of people that are not saved. But then I said, but God, uh, looking around, now you know hearts better than I do, and you know conditions of the soul, but if everyone is saved, <laughs> and people think that the altar is for people to be saved, then we have a problem. And the Holy Spirit said, yeah, we do have a problem. How come people are not bringing unsaved people to church? And oh, ouch, it just hits you in the gut. Because now, I'll be honest, in 2020 with COVID, it was every reason to not have to witness uh, more to your neighbor or to that, that lost co-worker. Because then if you would invite him to church and you're like, oh... We can't fit many more people. It's already uncomfortable sometimes as it is if we get a good crowd. And then I don't want them to come in there. And what would happen if they would catch COVID and then give our church COVID and, and all these things. But now it's a new year and we're just going to slowly, as, as, as God gives us back this year and, and we begin to settle things down as people get vaccinations. I think it's important that if our idea of the altar is that people will come and get saved, then we have work to do. 
We have work to do. And, I, and this uh, song came on my heart, which I'm not a singer, but I'm going to read you the lyrics. Because so often we focus on, on the first verse and the chorus, but the second verse really what punches me in the stomach. And before I, before I uh, tell you the lyrics of that song, Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, have you no wish for others to be saved? Question mark. Have you no wish for others to be saved? Then you're not saved yourself. Be sure of that. <laughs> if we are not really concerned, and I'll be honest, if you're ready for heaven to usher in the kingdom of God, for him to rapture at the church, church, it takes that last lost soul to come into the fold. So if we're really ready for heaven and, and our testimony is, God, I'm just ready, take me today. Well, there could be that last one out that might be within your ministry that God's telling you to go and witness to that they may get saved. And that might be the final draw before the Lord, God tells the Lord, go get my church. But in that song, bring them in. It says this, hark, tis the shepherd's voice I hear out in the desert, dark and drear, calling the sheep who've gone astray. Far from the shepherds fold away. And then we know the chorus. Bring them in, bring them in, bring them in from the fields of sin. Bring them in, bring them in, bring the wandering ones to Jesus. But look what it says in verse 2. Who'll go and help this shepherd kind? Help him the wandering ones to find. Who'll bring the lost ones to the fold where they'll be sheltered from the cold. Out in the desert, hear their cry. Out on the mountain, wild and high. Hark, tis the master speaks to thee. Go, find my sheep, wherever they be. Amen. Amen. I think so often we put so much emphasis, and it's, and it's not misdirected, but I think we forget about what the church is. The church is the body which is operated by the head. But so often, we want the head without the body. Well, God, if you want saved, then you'll just do the work. And that's fine. That, that is the key. It takes the Holy Spirit to draw them. But if we see in Scripture, in the New Testament, in fact, in Jesus' teaching, as well as the, the, the early church, it is the job of the church, it is the job of the Christians to bring them in. You know that? So I just want to go. So Matthew chapter 9. We're gonna we're gonna read it. We're gonna be bouncing around a couple places tonight. But over and over this week, God has been saying, "Brad, if you want the altar full, they gotta come in." And I hate to break this to you, but unsafe people don't want to come to church. You say, "Well, why not?" <laughs> because they they don't want. To find you. They don't want that conviction, that Holy Ghost vision. Well, how do you how do you make it happen? Number one, it takes a relationship. It takes getting to know them, introducing yourself to people, letting see your Christian character and your example. Number two, if you have someone that you're concerned about that does not have a desire to be in church, which most likely they won't if they're not saved, then this is what we do. We pray for them. And I just don't mean like, I'm wondering what, what's his name? So, no, I mean, I mean, get on your hands and knees and say, God, I want you to convict these people. I'm going to do my part and I'm going to witness and I'm going to cook uh, food for them or mow their grass or do whatever or just introduce myself to them. But I'm going to pray that you will send your spirit to convict their hearts to be in church or at least soften the ground that when maybe I, I ask him to come to church, it's not a slam in the uh, slam door or a punch in the nose that maybe they'll be open to it. And say, you know what? I just something about lately. 
I just felt like maybe I should go to church. You know, and that, God can do that. And we're going to talk about that at the end. We'll close with that. It really falls down with unbelief to, uh, to truly believe that God can do a work. But Matthew chapter 9, starting in the 35th verse. I want you to see the process of how needs are met and lives are changed through Jesus Christ. So verse 35, and Jesus went about all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues. There it is again, Corey. Their synagogues. Sorry. Teaching in their synagogues and preaching the gospel of the kingdom. So this is the thing. They go into the city. And you can say this is a recipe for church planting. You know, they go into the city. And then they teach in the synagogues. They teaching people, equipping people, preaching the gospel of the kingdom and healing every sickness and every disease among the people. They're meeting needs. This is the process here. But look what it says in verse 36 and on. But when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion on them because they fainted and were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. Number one, when Jesus saw the multitudes... He was, he, he had compassion. <laughs> he, he said, my goodness, this is more opportunity to meet more needs. When we see multitudes, because Proverbs says, where there is no oxen, the crib is clean. <laughs> we, anybody that's ever farmed, anyone that has animals, you know what I mean. The more oxen, the more mess you have to clean up. But then Proverbs says this, but much is the strength of the oxen. A church that is full of people with a desire to serve God, man, you can get something done in your community. But surely with that, in any kind of ministry, you're going to have different opinions and different point of views and different backgrounds. And you're going to have problems in marriages. And you're going to have kids that are crying. And you're going to have all these things. But, but when Jesus saw the multitudes, he had compassion. Why did he have compassion? He says it right here. He said, compassion because they fainted. They were weak. There was no strength. They were scattered abroad as sheep having no shepherd. How come these people have no shepherd? How come they're not being led? How come they're not equipped? How come the, their needs aren't being met? So you say, well, I guess I'll just stick around here and meet every need. That's not what you find Jesus doing in verse 38 or 37. He says, then he saith to, to his disciples. He turns to his disciples. Christ was absolutely adequate to meet every need. He could have stayed there. But he turned to his disciples and said, Look, the harvest truly is plenteous. Look at this. I mean, for a church to be hungry for souls to be saved, or for a church to be hungry for a community outreach, man, I'm telling you, there's enough to get your fill. But the laborers are few. I can... I appreciate you giving me the trust that when I preach a message that God can do a work, and I appreciate that, and, 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 I, and I, I do, I'm humbled by that. But if you, we, uh, we got to bring them in right. so we can preach to them. We got to bring them in so that Christ can meet their needs. But he sees them scattered, he sees them without a shepherd, and he, he looks to his disciples and he's like, look, the harvest is plenteous, that's not the issue. The problem is the laborers. And then he says this, Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he will send forth laborers into his harvest. And notice there it says his harvest. This is what his business is. He's not willing that any should perish, but all come to repentance. This is what God does. 
Now turn again to Luke chapter 10. Same account. But there's a little bit more depth in this right here. Luke chapter 10 at the beginning of the chapter. After these things, the Lord appointed other 70 also. And sent them two and two before his face into every city and place. Look right here. Whither he himself would come. So he sends them out. Now, if you ever know anything about Billy Graham's, uh, when he would come into a city, he would show up on like one day and stay a couple days or he would do a couple meetings throughout the week. But he would send people months before and equip churches in the area. Because once he came through, there was an expectation that lives were going to be changed, people were going to be saved, and they were going to need churches. So he would come, they would, they would send people beforehand just to, pretty much like a street team, just to make sure that they got everything ready. Because whenever this comes in and God meets it, and we see here that he appointed, it wasn't that Jesus is doing it all, he appointed people to go to these cities whither he would first come. It says right there that, uh, that, uh, whither he himself would come. So he sends them out before and he said, I'm going to meet the need after. And then he says this in verse 2. Therefore said he unto them, the harvest truly is great. But once again, the laborers are few. Pray ye therefore the Lord of the harvest that he would send forth laborers into his harvest. Go your way. Behold, I send you forth as lamb, lambs among wolves. Let's be honest. That's why we don't do it, right? It's not easy. I'm saved. They're not saved. Who knows what they could be up to? Who knows how they're living their lives? Christ knew all this and yet sent them out. He said, go your way, but be, just know it's not going to be easy, but I'm going to be with you and I'm going to equip you. And, but the point is to meet needs. Now let's turn to John chapter 4. God just blew this out of the water the other day. I never, actually I was in Bible study last week and we were on something else. But I just, as turning to the verse that they were at, this verse hit me. And I never realized that. It's our job, folks. It is our job to bring them in. Yeah. Now I'm not making saying I'm going to ask you to do anything. It's my job. I should be able to look back there and say, you know, that's the one I've been praying for. That's the one that I've gotten into church, and we're going to try to win them. And, you know, it's not for our glory or our vain glory, but it's for his glory. But it's our job. So look right here, John chapter 4, the beginning of the chapter, verse 1. When therefore the Lord knew not, knew how, uh, sorry, let me start over. When therefore the Lord knew how the Pharisees had heard that Jesus made and baptized more disciples than John. Pharisees saw Jesus and, and how many that how many more people were being baptized than those disciples that were being baptized by John. But look at verse 2, and mine's in parentheses. Though Jesus himself baptized not, but his disciples. <laughs> they saw Jesus. They saw Jesus and said, it's obviously Jesus that's the one he's baptizing. But the word of God for, for the purpose, not to be wasted in parentheses, says actually it wasn't Jesus doing the baptizing. It was his disciples. <laughs> they were in the heart of the harvest. They were doing the work. Yes, Christ was getting the glory. Yes, it was the spirit of God that was equipping them. But I love that. 
look at that. I mean, we get to partake in this beautiful thing, which is furthering and increasing the kingdom of God. And I think we, we take it too lightly. And that's why we, honestly, it's why we don't see our, our, our pews, uh, I mean, our, our altars filled anymore. Is because we've just stopped, you know, I, I hate to say this, and I've had that mentality trickle in. Well, I'm saved. And I'm going to heaven. And hey, I, you know, I take credit for my own salvation. It was me who chose Jesus Christ. Well, then they need to get what they need to get. It's not my fault if they don't get saved. No one was worried about me. Yeah, someone was worried about you. Yes, there were people that were praying for you and for me. There were people that were on their hands and knees that I may see salvation one day. You know, that's what we need to do. It's not to say, wait, well, hey, I got my life preserver on. Sorry if that guy's drowning over there. It goes back to what Spurgeon said. If you don't have a desire for other people to be saved, then you have to ask yourself, am I truly saved? Paul said, if I could give my salvation to you, I would. But he said, I can't. That's really how concerned we should be for the lost. To say, if I could give you what I have so that you could have it, but it doesn't work that way. But we can at least express to them the urgency and love. So now turn to Matthew chapter 17. So I want to talk about that. We saw the multitudes. Christ did, and he had compassion on them because they, they were faint, and they were scattered abroad, and they were sheep without a shepherd. Ugh. <laughs> I think of the feeding of the 5,000, remember? He saw the multitudes, and they came, and he said, Behold the multitudes. The disciples freaked out. We are so understaffed. We are so, we don't have enough money. There's not enough food. Christ even says, well, what do you got? And they said, well, 200 penny loaves even be close to enough? It's not even enough. Because you know it's 5,000. And as they say in church history, that only was recorded men. So it could be up to the scale of fifteen to 20,000 people. Overwhelmingly, overwhelming if you, if you don't have Christ at the center of it. So Matthew chapter 17, look at verse 14 and on. Once again. And when they were come to the multitude, there came to him a certain man, kneeling down to him and saying, let me just say this too. Yes, there was a multitude of needs that need to be met. Now, if you understand how Christ met the needs of the 5,000 when it came to the feeding of the 5,000, five loaves, two fishes, what did he tell the disciples? He said, first off, feed them. How? Don't worry about it. Have faith to feed them. And then he says, sit them down in groups of 50 and 100. What good is that going to do? Because if you look at the big picture, it's going to be too much for you to bear. But if you break it down to smaller little groups, then we can handle it. That's just how the human mind is, and God understood that. And we see here in, in verse 14, the multitude, and then we see something else. This vast contrast. Multitude of people, a certain man. Which the Holy Spirit says to me, Brad, yes. There is more in your community more, if we start bringing unsaved in, yes, there is more needs than you can meet. The altar is not long enough to see everyone saved. But if you focus on one life at a time, if you focus on one life at a time, you can handle it. You know? To say, you know what, I'm going to send one card today. I'm going to make one phone call. When that neighbor comes by that I've been really been impressed asking the church, I'm just going to handle that one at a time. You know? And, and, and I believe we can, we can handle it. So anyways, there came a certain man kneeling down to him and saying, Lord, have mercy on my son, for he is a lunatic and sore vexed, for oftentimes 
he falleth into the fire and oft into the water. Oh, right away, I say, of all the people you're going to bring to me, please, someone with a less amount of issues. This guy comes and says, Lord, have mercy on my son. Man, he has issues. And there's tons of issues here. I mean, literally trying to throw himself into the fire, trying to drown himself. Serious issues here. And you have to get past that, folks, because that's what we think. What happens if this person's a drug addict? What happens if this person has violence issues? What is this? I, I know about this person because I Googled him and I did a background. You know, forget about all that for a second. Maybe God's doing something. And Christ, we see here, he, they bring this gentleman to, this gentleman brings his son to Christ. Christ says, uh, anyways, he says, here's my, here's my problem, have mercy on him. I brought him to thy disciples, and they could not cure him. They couldn't meet the need. I would understand if Jesus would look at the disciples and say, I understand it, man, look at this. There's a lot of issues here. I understand why you couldn't meet the need. Don't worry about it, I'm here. Is that what he says? No. Look what he says in verse 17. O faithless and perverse generation, how long shall I be with you? How long shall I suffer? How long shall I suffer you? And then he says, bring him hither to me. How long are we going to be in this condition where we think we cannot do what Christ can do? Let me ask this question. None of us in here believe, anyone believe that God cannot heal? Forget about man, I'm just saying, do we believe, have you seen in your life where God has done a miracle, cancer disappeared, whatever it might be, God's done a miracle, right? Anyone in here doubt that God can do a miracle where he can actually heal the sick? Do we believe that God, forget about man, I'm not saying any man, no touching, laying hands, I'm just saying, do we believe that God can heal? Absolutely. You wouldn't be a Christian if you didn't. Surely we know that God can do whatever he wants. There's no box on God. But what if someone has a need, let's say it's a financial need, and they're hungry and they're starving, and we're praying for God to do a miracle because we know God can do a miracle, but maybe, the God, maybe God is saying, you're my miracle. <laughs> maybe he's saying, oh, man, God, I, we can't do it. We can't meet this need. It might be this. It might be that. Oh, man, there's a numerous amount of issues here. But God, you can. And he looks at me and says, faithless and perverse generation, how long have I been with you? How long will I suffer you? Bring him hither to me. And Jesus rebuked the devil, and he departed out of him. And the child was cured from that very hour. Then came the disciples to Jesus apart. i got to be honest, it says they came apart. They privately asked Jesus, you know, because they didn't want all the ridicule. You know, he already called them out, and, and they didn't want to act like they probably had the stature because the multitudes were around and they were doing all these works. But it says they came to Jesus apart and said, Why could not we cast him out? And Jesus said unto them, It's simple. Because of your unbelief. Nothing else. You had enough money, or it's like we didn't have enough money, we didn't have enough staff, we were in the wrong place, man, these people were mean, too many issues, none of that. Once again, God, Christ cannot lie. If he would have lied, his, 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 uh, he would not have been able to offer himself as a sinless debt for humanity, but he was sinless. So when he said, it is because of your unbelief, he meant it, it's the truth. 
For verily I say it unto you, if you have a faith of, as a grain of mustard seed, ye shall say unto this mountain, Remove hence to yonder place, and it shall remove, and nothing shall be impossible to you. We use that as a prosperity verse, but actually the verse is meant to meet the needs of those which you think you cannot on your own. Amen. Amen. I can't handle it. It's too much for me. You know, I've only got so many time, so many hours in the day. I've got a job and I've got a family. Yeah, on your own. <laughs> You're not going to be able to. But Christ through you can. Yeah. And then he goes on to say verse 21, which I believe is the most hard-hitting verse of all of them. How be it this kind goeth not out, but by prayer and fasting. There are things, there are needs in this community that can be met with simple check. That can be met by an after-school program for an hour with a couple volunteers and a couple things of pizza. But there are going to be needs that are going to be met in our community when it comes to souls being saved for Christ that is going to take a generation of people that are actually going to be willing to give up something. And I'm talking about more than TV on Friday nights. I'm talking about give up something that they're going to pray and fast to see people saved. There were some things that would be super easy. And you're going to say, Jesus, that's a, man, that was easy right there. We met that need. We, 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 we witnessed to that family. That was great. But there were going to be things where the devil's really going to push back. Because anytime we try to increase the kingdom, that's why Paul says we need to press toward the mark. You don't cartwheel. You're not, you're not lollygagging. You're not spinning your umbrella. We're going to press toward the mark. Because every time we increase the kingdom, every time we start moving for God, opposition's going to press back. And the needs are going to be more. And you're going to be tired. And you're going to be limited resources. And every reason to quit. But Paul says, if we faint not. <laughs> if we faint not, in due season we shall reap. That harvest that he's talking about. But we have to look past responsibility and accountability. Because just as we did in that activity building today. One man doing that job, goodbye 2021. He'd be there every day. But if everybody says, you know what, I can't do everything but I can do something. Maybe I'm not good here, but I'm good here. And if everyone would come together and say, hey, we're going to do our part, I'm telling you, it's not that difficult with Christ running the ship and running the show that we can meet the needs of the community, that we can see unsaved come into this church and unsaved get saved. I believe that to be true. One more set of verses, Matthew chapter 10, back a few chapters. I've said this before. I don't believe in aliens. <laughs> but if an alien would, hypothetically, if an alien would come to earth and would grab a Bible. Now, I'll even say this, to grab a Bible in its original text. I say that because in the early church, we see the word power is the word dunamis. Uh, so we see that throughout Acts and throughout the early church. And in fact, we see here in Matthew chapter 10 of what he equips the apostles to do. So we see the early church equipped. Once again, they only had that which of, of themselves. They took their money, they put it together, and they met the needs of, of everybody, each individual need. That's how they operated. They went house to house. They didn't have mega churches or stadiums, but they just operated with a power that was not natural, but was supernatural. And they saw, I mean, signs and wonders and miracles because of this power that was, once again, fueling this expansion of the kingdom. And if that alien would come down and grab a Bible in the uh, Greek and Hebrew and see the early church in this, throughout scripture, this word that keeps on coming up, power, power, power. And then to walk into a church today in America, a random church. Yeah. The first thing they would say is, we get it. You're talking about Jesus and the blood. 
I see all that. The one thing I don't see is this dunamis. <laughs> one thing that I just don't see is this power, that is, this operation. And I don't... We can get into a theological debate on another day about when the canon was closed and what was called for the apostles to do, but which was transferred out into the early church. We see that. We see that in Stephen. We see that in all those. But we've just chalked it up to say there's no more power. <laughs> we've, just, we've just really, we just said it's an easy thing to get out of. If, if we say that the canon was closed and the church has no power today because just for the early church that it may uh, create this different level because once again you have the, the scripture and then you have the apostles and then us as believers are up here. But one thing that we can say is we are lacking power and I just find it throughout scripture. If I'm going to lean in on any way, I'm going to lean towards power. I'm going to lean towards faith that God can still do a work that he did in the early church. Anyways, I say all that to say this. Matthew chapter 10, starting at the first verse. We've got a couple minutes left. And when he had called unto them his twelve disciples, he gave them power. First thing, before I send you out, I want you to know you have power. You may not feel like it, and that's good, but... You have to understand that we are equipped. He gave them power against unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. And then it goes into verses 2 through uh, two through 4, uh, the listing of the apostles and the disciples that went out. Uh, and then it says this in verse 5. These twelve Jesus sent forth and commanded them, saying, Go not into the way of the Gentiles, and into any of the city of Samaritans enter ye not. But go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel, and as ye go, preach. And as ye go, preach, saying the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The message really hasn't changed. It's what we need to preach. That we're not preaching hellfire, we're not preaching fear tactics, but the reality is Christ is coming back. You've been saying that, they've been saying that for years. And one day... We will say it, and he will come back. And oh, for those ones that never heard the message. That's why he says, you, you got power going, and when you go, listen, there's one thing you got to do, you got to preach. And, and, and when you preach, you got to preach that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. That Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. And that hits me. He held nothing back when it came to my salvation. He put people in my life, put my wife in my life. I mean, he did. He freely gave that I may receive. And yet, I'm so stingy on giving. I'm so stingy on holding back my time and my energy and all these things that, that Christ had put into my life and, and pumped into my life, but yet we don't pay it back. And he says, uh, Provide neither gold nor silver nor brass in your purses nor script for your journey, neither two coats, neither shoes, nor yet staves, for the workman is worthy of his meat. Into, and into whatsoever city or town ye shall enter, inquire who in it is worthy, and there abide till ye go thence. Let me just say this, because I feel like the Holy Spirit is telling me to say uh, My stepfather, I, I may have mentioned this once before, Mike is a wonderful moral man. And I really don't care if he's listening tonight. I love him to death. He is the, one of the hardest workers I've ever met in my entire life. And his father was a preacher. I think he was, I forget what kind of preacher, but he was a real black and white. You can't stray. There's no grace. You're either in or you're out. And it's just a hard, 
expectation led. That's what he grew into. So he's always said the reason he's never really truly submitted his life to Christ is because he can't live it. People say that all the time. You can't live it. (laughs) But Christ can live it through you. But let me say this. So one day, people came to the house, been years back, came to the house and went to witness to Mike. And Mike, I believe, was mending or painting a fence. I say all this because it says that right there. The workman is worthy of his meat. You have to take a little effort. <laughs> you have to get yourself out of the way. So anyways, these people came to the house and witnessed to Mike as he was painting his fence. And Mike said, grab a brush and we'll talk. And the gentleman said, we don't really have a lot of time. We're, we've got a few places to go. Uh, maybe another time. And he said, yeah, maybe another time. And I can't help but to think that if only one of those guys said, hey, you guys go on. I'm going to stay and help Mike paint his fence. A worker that's worthy of his meat. (laughs) If only he would have had an opportunity. Because unless they trust you, unless they see that you really mean it, well, I'm just here to preach. No, no, no. You're going to do more preaching out of the life you live than the words you speak. And if I just imagine that maybe, just maybe, through painting a fence, I know you say that's not ministry. I'm telling you, it's all ministry. It's all ministry. Paint a fence. Maybe the question could have came up and the Holy Spirit had already came forward and worked. But that's what happens when self gets in the way. Oh, and i got to be responsible. And it's going to take time and it's going to take energy. And I just got done painting my fence. I don't want to paint this guy's fence. Forget about it. How concerned are we? So it says this. And if the house be worthy, let the peace come upon it. But if it not be worthy, let their, your peace return to you. And whosoever shall not receive you, nor hear your words when you depart out of the house or city, shake off the dust of your feet. There are some houses, there are some people you're just not going to be able to win. Not to say it, you know, maybe the next person. Maybe you plant a couple seeds. Maybe you get the door slammed in your face. Maybe they tell you they already have a church, but they really didn't mean it. But then the next person that comes, maybe God continues to do a work. Nobody cuts a tree with one hit. Sometimes you got to chop it and get through the bark and you got to hit it a couple hits. But we want that one, that falling blow, don't we? Because it's pride. It's a notch in our bell. Oh, well, I, I led that person to the Lord. But nobody wants to say, well, I got my door in the face. Sl- I got the door slammed in my face. But hey, I heard two months later someone else went and they got saved. But sometimes you'll have to shake the dust off your feet. Ministry's not easy. Once again, you're a lamb going into a... Uh, uh, going into a land of wolves. You can't take it personal. This is a spiritual battle. You're going to say, God, I, that was really horrible. I fell on my face. I felt uncomfortable. It was, it was, I felt like I was preaching to dry bones. Forget about it. It's not personal. God's trying to do a work. But anyways, I just want, this is where I want to get to right here. It says this. But verily I say unto you, it shall be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. Behold, he says it again, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of the wolves. Be therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they shall deliver you up to councils, and they will scourge you in their synagogues. And ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Even though they were only preaching to the lost sheep of Israel, even though a test against the Gentiles. But when they deliver you up, take no thought how or what ye shall speak, for it shall be given you in the same hour what ye shall speak. Been there before. 
For it is not ye that speak, but the Spirit of your Father which speaketh in me, in you. And the brother shall deliver up the brother to death, and the father the child, and the child shall rise up against his, their parents, and cause them to be put to death. And ye shall be hated of all men for my sakes, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Here's what God said to me. No joke. I read all that as I was studying this out, and I go, wait a minute. You've not even sent them out yet, and this is what you hit them with? I mean, literally, the worst of the worst. If you're going to send me out, I would rather a pep talk or something, you know. Give me something encouraging, and yet my brother's going to... They're going to turn me over. They're going to hand me into the council. Brother's going to turn against brother. Father's going to be turned against... In fact, he says it at the last verse there, and all men shall hate you. Anything else? I just want to make sure I have it all out there. And then he says, and you say, and we say, it's a cheap little pep talk in the last sentence, but he that endureth to the end shall be saved. But what he's saying is, listen, there's no point in painting any other fake colors but the truth that this is not easy. This is a battlefield. And if it's not that to you, then you need to realize it is. And I got to be honest, and maybe God's dealing with me, but look at the crowd tonight. You can say COVID all you want, but there's churches around the world for years that are empty. And they're dying. Because they've wanted ministry. And they wanted this increase of the kingdom of, of God to be something that it's not. It is a battlefield. Yeah. And until you figure that out, you are not going to be equipped. Because the first time you come into anything that the devil's going to throw at you, you're going to cave. You're going to fold. You're going to throw your hands up and say, it's just not for me. And Christ tells the disciples, I'm sending you out with power. And here's what it's going to look like. Now, once again, he said it at the beginning, you have all the power. There is not a need that will come to you that you cannot meet. But let me just say what it's going to look like. And I appreciate that, the honesty in Scripture, that this is what ministry looks like. If you're going to want to see souls saved, the harvest is not the problem. The laborers are the problem. Amen. If you want to see souls saved, you're going to have to say to yourself, you know what, I'm going to dig my feet in the sand and I'm going to make sure... I'm going to make sure I do my part. I don't care what the devil throws at me. I don't care if I feel like I'm inadequate. I don't feel like I don't have enough resources. I don't care if the church has given me permission. I don't care if we've approved it by the board. I don't, <laughs> I don't care anything that this is a spiritual battle and we're equipped to fight it and we're equipped to meet needs. It's no joke, Sunday. As invitation, God's just dealing with me. If we want this altar to be lined with unsaved people, we got to do our part. I'll preach to them, sure. I'll preach to them until I'm blue in the face, but that's not it. That's not it. we got to bring them in. Bring them in from the fields of sin. We have to. So we got to say, all right, I'm going to... And maybe tonight, and we're going to finish by praying here, but maybe you've got someone on your heart that, you, that God's impressing on you. And to be honest, you've kind of just... You've done a little, but have you done much? Are you really concerned if Christ is coming back and... We believe it, don't we? That if you've not accepted Jesus Christ as a personal Savior, you're not getting in. 
I know they've watered that down tonight, and, and now they say heaven is just a purgatory, or hell's just a purgatory till you, till you get rid of self and get rid of pride, and then God's grace and God's love ultimately just wins everyone and, and everyone gets in. I don't know. That's not, the, that's not the picture I see painted in Scripture. And I hope it's not the same picture you see in painted in Scripture, that if, you, if, they, if they die in sin, they die without Jesus Christ, they won't go to heaven. And how long are we going to wait for Jesus to do the work when he's just saying to you, you faithless and first generation, how long have I been with you? Did I not equip you? Did I not empower you? You have the word of God and you have the, and you have the spirit of God and you have prayer. And I'm telling you, with those three things, there is not one thing that can be, you can be hit with that God can't overcome. Amen. That's what I have tonight. I just appreciate that. Um, let's go to prayer right now. Rob, can we get a verse or something? Do we have, bring them in? Do we have that? Or you do whatever you, you already got? <laughs> Bless you, Rob. All right, let's go to prayer. Heavenly Father, we just come to you tonight. Uh, Father, we're challenged. And I appreciate your word doing that. It is definitely sharper than any two-edged sword. Father, it goes beyond uh, myself. And Father, that's where it needs to go. Father, we need to get to work. It's a new year. Uh, you're the same God, that's true, but Father, it's a new year, and we need to be refocused in, uh, in ministry. And Father, not just a ministry of, uh, for the preacher, not just a ministry for the Sunday school teacher, but a ministry of a, a body of believers that are being operated and equipped uh, by the head, which is your son, Jesus Christ, to meet the needs of the community. Father, that is what the church is. The church is the original community center. Father, I believe the church needs to uh, regain any ground that they lost in the last few years, to be honest, in the last several years. But Father, it starts with us. We need to realize that this is a battlefield, that this is a mission field, that Father, the harvest is indeed plenteous. And Father, I don't care if there's not another laborer, but I can sure fill uh, whatever bucket you've given me uh, when it comes to souls for, uh, for your glory and your honor. Father, we want to meet needs. We want people in our community to say, you know what, everyone else gave up on me, but that church sure loved me. Uh, that church reached out to me. I've had so many people in my life, Father, that have, uh, I've went and knocked on doors, and they said, I've been up here 20 years. Not one church has ever knocked on my front door. Father, shame on us and shame on me. Father, we want to do better. And Father, I'm so thankful that with your grace, uh, you wipe the, the past like a clean slate and we have a new fresh start today. Let us get serious about souls. Let us get serious about the ministry, which is the kingdom of God. Because the kingdom is at hand. We love you. Challenge us tonight as we sing this song. Put someone in our heart this week that we may witness to them to bring them in.